to the spirit world. Answering your questions on angels, demons, and how the spiritual and physical worlds interact. And now your hosts, Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. Well, hello there and welcome to the spirit world. I am Debbie Giorgiani with religious demonologist Adam Bly, co-host, and this is exorcism part six that's right we are working on a seven-part series on the realities of exorcism this is a pre-recorded broadcast so no phone calls today um and we really want you to uh sit back get out your notebook take some notes learn something new about what really happens during um during exorcisms and so we asked the questions of adam bly who he does this work on a regular basis and so he's not he, did, he didn't get the questions up front um so he is he's not prepared in that way because we really wanted him to respond how he how he would answer if we were just asking him like i don't know in an elevator hey adam what's going on this week in, in exorcism ministry and he would answer so that's what spirit world's all about but adam before before we dive right into part six, please, the St. Michael prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Adam, um, this is part six. We have a seven-part series, and uh, we've got some exciting news. Uh, Jacob Kraft, our producer, we, we discussed it, and... Um, Part seven will be available as a special podcast um, on Facebook, and it'll be a wonderful, um, you know, a finished um, last episode, if you will, of this seven-part series. And we're excited, Adam, because we just um, uh, confirmed that Jacob, our producer, will be asking some questions as well, representing his generation uh, in the world. Because we're, you know, let's face it, Adam, we're a little bit older than Jacob. Okay, so we want to make sure that that we represent uh, the young adults, or and we answer their questions and concerns about what is happening. Happening with demonic activity so that'll be uh, part seven and that'll be coming up in the near future but this is a pre-recorded broadcast this is uh, part six of the seven part series on realities of exorcism so let's dive right in first question Adam ready ready okay okay so we talked about in one of the uh, previous episodes about uh, this, uh, the films and, and different podcasts that are out there that are, that are talking about, you know, some exorcists giving their, um, their experience of the work they do or even some situations of, of possessions. And I, and I understand that this spring, um, in 2023 there's the the hollywood film it's actually ranked as a horror film okay so it's not like you know a, a documentary or anything like that it's a horror film i want to stress that and it's um the the pope's exorcist father gabriel amorth the late father gabriel amorth a wonderful exorcist amazing and uh, russell crowe plays the um the he plays him in the movie 
And what do you know about the film? I understand that the trailers are out and all sorts of things are being talked about. Is this really accurate, Adam? Could you tell us, based on the weekly work you do in exorcism ministry, is this accurate or is this a really a horror Hollywood film? Sure, Deb. So I've only seen the trailer. I believe the writer for this film also did the movie The Right. Um, I would say it's wildly inaccurate. So with this movie, Deb, um, that's a great question because a lot of people get catechized by these movies about the reality of exorcism. Of course, going back to the original film, The Exorcist, where everybody assumed that's, that's how it goes. In this case, from the trailer that I saw, it's wildly inaccurate. So there's, there's a theme there that also was used in the movie The Right, which was about another, you know, supposed Vatican exorcist. And the theme of the exorcist becoming possessed is part of the storyline. And this is just, um, this is just kind of a Hollywood imagining of things to create drama in the story. It's not something that, that actually happens. The only way an exorcist could become possessed is if they literally gave permission for the demon to possess them. And I have seen right when a demon is about to be cast out, the demon turning to everyone in the room and saying, can I come into any of you? I don't want to go back to Satan and be punished for my failure. Will anybody here take me? And of course, that's ridiculous. Who's going to say yes to that? I mean, anybody that's at the exorcism, we, we fully understand what's going on. Um, we know this is a mere created creature and God is God. So of course, you know, nobody's going to say yes to that. So that part is just Hollywood trying to make drama in a script. And the other thing is, of course, the, you know, the kind of over the top special effects, um, you know, the, the really dramatic stuff that happens very rarely in exorcisms. And of course, in a movie, they, they put everything that's ever happened in the last 700 years and then they turn it up to 11 because it's Hollywood. This isn't about catechesis. This is about entertainment and selling tickets. And we have to remember that, you know, people assume that if it's on a screen, it's the truth. And, and that's just mm -hmm. a fallacy. Well, but but Adam, the, you know, I'm concerned about it because I've read a lot of stuff about Father Gabriel um, Amarth, and he was amazing. I mean, he dedicated his life's work to this and really got it out there to, for, for people to understand what's really happening when possession um, takes place. And, and, and this is bothersome that we're going to turn it into a horror film. I keep saying it, folks, because it's, it, that's exactly what it is. And I, I think it's so dangerous to take somebody's, especially a priest, a, an, a, a chief exorcist, um, a a amazing a holy man um and and you're going to go ahead and and turn it into something that is just you know gory and you know scary and frightening and then and then so what does it say about his life i mean is somebody else going to follow up with the the proper you know representation of of his work that's possible um the way these things usually work in hollywood is uh, some studio or producer or somebody in the system uh, bought the rights to his books or his life story from somebody. And so that's generally how it works. I, I'm not privy to how this deal exactly worked, but generally um, somebody bought the rights to make a project based on that person's life and their books or one of their books or maybe a couple of their books. 
And then, you know, once you do that, it's, it's a struggle to try to get uh, a product at the end that is honest and clear and what you want because you, you're compromising with a large studio that's spending many millions of dollars. They have their own way of seeing it and wanting to do it. And if they own the rights, they can do what they wish. And so, sure. you know, that's, that's kind of the reality of it. But what you say is true. It's, it's really kind of sad and inappropriate because this is an actual person's life versus a fictitious, you know, Vatican exorcist. You're, you're, you're naming a person. And so a lot of people don't know that that's how Hollywood works. And when it says based on or inspired by, you know, it can wildly diverge from the person's life. But unfortunately for the vast majority of people, they'll think this is his biography and it, and it really isn't, you know, this has nothing right. to do with the real work. Yeah. Yeah. Another way that Satan gets in and really uh, distorts everything, changes everything, gets people to think in a different way. That's not good. I, I would say, you know, we got to be really careful with films like this. And there's more uh, uh, projects I, I understand that are coming out on television and on the big screen. Adam, it's it's what is the obsession with um, exorcisms. I mean, it is unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my in my 57 years. Yeah, I think it's got a lot to do with the number of exorcists that are giving interviews in recent years. So it used mm -hmm. to be a very discreet, confidential ministry. Even the identity of the exorcist was unknown within the diocese outside of a few people. And okay. so in our generation, that's really changed. There's a lot that are still very discreet and don't want to be known, but there's a number that are known and are giving interviews. And so I think what you're seeing, Deb, is there is a natural inherent interest in people on this topic because it's one of the few places that the spiritual world is revealed, right? So you have miracles where the spiritual world is visible, tangible, can be tested by doctors and things like that with healings. This is an area where the spiritual world is revealed and people are hungry for that because they have a natural hunger for God. They have a natural hunger for understanding the spiritual world mm -hmm. and they're going to get that need met in some way. And for a lot of people, they don't have direct access to the miracles or to the exorcisms. And so they go to the media. Yeah, that's why I like what we're doing with the spirit world. We're keeping it very down, down to earth, very sensible, very healthy, you know, a very balanced approach to this um, so that there's no fear or anything like that. So I, that's what I love about it. Well, you hear that music. Jacob is right on cue. He's amazing as our producer. So we want to thank him. He's at the controls today. He won't be answering your calls because there's no calls today. It's a pre-recorded broadcast. This is Exorcism Part 6, The Reality of exorcism and we hope that you um, stay tuned in you're learning something and don't forget to catch up on the, the previous episodes that we recorded it's very important this is a seven part series and we'll be right back The St. John Leadership Network presents Glance at the Gospel with Father Nathan Cromley. 
Every year, the church has the joy of celebrating the solemnity of St. Joseph. In the Gospel for the Solemnity, we read the message of the angel to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. Now, we could be puzzled. Why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary into his home? After all, living with Mary would be the most wonderful of things. She is sinless. She has the fullness of grace. It would have been terrific. Why would Joseph have paused even one second? The cause for his fear couldn't have been any defect in Mary. It must have been a reflection upon his own weakness. Who among us would deem himself worthy of living up to the expectations of being the spouse of the Virgin Mother of God? Who among us would think himself capable of being the foster father of the Son of God himself? This is why the angel told Joseph, Do not be afraid. Joseph had to summon the depths of his courage to meet the plan of God in a way very similar to how Our Lady had to abandon herself completely to the love and the will of God for her. Both Joseph and Mary represent a pattern for us to follow. Letting God do with us the great things he wants to do. Letting God work out his plan through our yes. This is what makes St. Joseph so worthy of veneration, that he allowed God to summon him to a greatness and an act of service far beyond anything he could have dreamed of or ever done on his own strength. And why do we think God would stop there? What does he want to do with you and me? What would he do if we said yes like St. Joseph? For more information, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org. We now return to the spirit world. Today's program has been pre-recorded. But you can submit your questions for a future mailbag episode via email, thespiritworldatthestationofthecross.com, or through Facebook with the handle The Spirit World Podcast. Thanks for staying with us for part six of Realities of Exorcism. I'm asking the questions of Adam today and his ministry work in this area. And we're learning and we're growing, and that's a good thing. So stay tuned in the entire hour. This hour just flies by very, very quickly. So, Adam, back to the questions. Thank you so much for kind of putting it into perspective of of going to see these horror films. I keep saying it, Adam. I must have said it nine times because I really think that parents and every adult choosing a film that they want to have, like, you know, a date night or something like that or go out with friends, they need to check in the category. When it says horror film it truly is and i think it can be it it can be uh very dangerous uh, a portal for the demons to just say hmm you're interested in this kind of this kind of stuff well maybe you're open to other things as well and that's not good and you talked about it on a previous realities of exorcism episode adam you talked about you know once once you kind of give them the keys to the apartment they just they come in in droves you know and and that's dangerous and that's the work that you do as a coach in exorcism ministry is to is to peel back the layers and get these demons the the priest with the solemn rite of exorcism to get these demons out of that individual and that's you know you said i think you said could there be hundreds in a person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay 
Okay, that sure. is that is so that just creeps me out. It really does. Hundreds. I mean, when we think of demons, we maybe I think you know maybe a couple, a few, one, you know, but hundreds in one individual. That is a lot of demonic presence. Yeah. So you know, usually kind of a mid-level one comes in with each serious sin or serious wound that the person hasn't forgiven that sin that was done against them, so often some form of abuse. And as each kind of mid-level one comes in, they bring a cadre of spirits that are under their control with them. So they'll bring in a whole swath of spirits like will come gang, in. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, under under a particular gang leader. Mm-hmm. And so that's why as you're doing the work, sometimes when you cast one out, a whole swath will go with it because those are all the ones under its control. Wow. Wow. Okay, so getting back to that, you said to us recently, Jacob and I, were, were we kind of commented on it. You said to us recently about this idea that the the demons remember things or they say things during the weekly exorcism sessions. They'll ask you, well, Adam, you've been gone this weekend. Now you're back, you know, and they and they kind of have they they feel like they have a right to a relationship with you somehow by asking you these questions, like almost like they know you very well. Can you speak about that? Like, what is the what's the reason they're doing that with you? Is it just to kind of, again, get you kind of a little bit nervous that they're following you, watching you, whatever? Well, I you know, it's all a head game. So, yes, when you do this for years and years and years, they do know you well, and you do bump into the same spirit over and over in different cases. And, of course, they remember encountering you before. And when you take trips or do ministry work, they are also watching that because these, remember, these things are like bacteria. They're just kind of everywhere. They always have been. You don't need to freak out about it. Their job is to tempt us, and so they're around people all the time. So, you know, they have intel on us, and the people that are going to exorcisms regularly, of course, they're very interested in those people because that's, you know, the that's really the enemy. Jesus is the ultimate enemy. You know, Mary is a, is a tremendous enemy of theirs. But the people, unlike Jesus and Mary, the people, they have a shot to corrupt our theology, to spook us, to get us distracted, And that's really what all these manifestations are about, whether it's stuff flying around the room, whether it's somebody levitating, which is hyper rare, or whether it's just them saying like, oh, I know you were in Trinidad this weekend and, you know, that's not going to do any good. Those people don't care about you or whatever the comment is. That's all just designed to delay and get in your head and see if they can manipulate you. So you really just basically don't pay any attention to it. So Um, you don't converse with them. No, no, you never, you never respond to that. Only the exorcist should be conversing with the demon and it's not even conversing. They should be giving commands. So the exorcist shouldn't respond to the demon's comments, questions, or its commands when it tries to boss us around. But the exorcist should be giving commands, something like in the name of Jesus, be quiet. Tell me how you entered this person, you know, that type of thing. No, like, dialogue going back and forth because you inevitably allow the demon to get in the driver's seat and start controlling the conversation. They're really good at manipulating it to try to get charge of how the interaction's going. So you really want to put your foot down there, and the exorcist should take charge and just say, you know, in the name of Jesus, stop talking. You talk when I tell you to talk. 
Now, that doesn't mean they're instantly never going to speak. They're still going to be mouthy. Another demon's going to switch in and say, well, you didn't give me that order. They're going to play games. But basically, the exorcist needs to firmly take control and not allow the demon to run the Mm -hmm. session. So you're basically a coach to the exorcist. And so when Father is in the middle of a session and he turns to you and says, Adam, you know, should I be doing this or or whatever, if he he consults you somehow, are the demons listening to you and do they respond? I mean, do they, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out like how it sounds in the room, what it you know what mm-hmm. what kind of privacy you have out of the out of the room no. and talk privately no okay no there'd be no point stepping out and it would waste time they would hear you anyway so no i mean typically it's not so much that father will turn to me and ask sometimes he will but i especially if we're training a new guy so like we receive exorcists that are brand new to this uh, on a regular basis here you know with their bishops request our bishops okay They may come in and sit in with us for a number of weeks or months every week. And in the midst of that, there'll there'll be like a teaching moment. There'll be a moment where something important happens that unless you explain it, it would just go by you and you wouldn't realize that was important. Kind of like when you're learning, say, learning psychotherapy, you watch a videotape of that session, you hit pause and say, okay, did you notice what just happened there? And then you unpack it for the therapist in training and that helps them learn. It's kind of similar here, except it's not a videotape. So, you know, in some sense, it's it's interesting because something important will happen. And I will typically tap father on the shoulder. He'll pause and I'll say, OK, let me explain what just happened so that we can learn from this. The best time is to learn in the moment because this, you know, there may be 12 teaching moments in a session. And so mm-hmm. you're not going to remember all the details. So I will sometimes just say, OK, it's teaching time. And the demon will immediately be quiet. And that's not because of my authority. That's because I think Jesus wants his priests trained. And so I'll just say something like, you know, it's the demon screaming. There's all kinds of nonsense going on, very loud. And I'll just say, look, it's teaching time. And Jesus, apparently, because I don't, you know, I don't give any command to the demon. I just say that out loud. He will immediately get quiet and look at me and wait. And I will then spend 20, 30 seconds explaining exactly what happened. And then when I'm done, it's looking at me like, are you finished? When I'm finished, it then resumes the uh, the little, you know, act that it's doing, all, all of the, uh, the nonsense. So that's the main way that there's an intervention. But then sometimes I'll simply say, you know, if something's stuck, I'll say, Father, try this. And, you know, try this different tactic or or try giving this command or check on this. See if that's what the truth of what's going on. And then he will address the demon. So, yeah, it's very much like a coaching and, and teaching kind of uh, situation. When you say you're, you're the demon remains quiet and stuff, you're looking at that possessed individual, correct? You're not. Mm-hmm. And does that does that individual look like they they do outside of the exorcism sessions or does do they have a different look to them that that you know there's a demon you know talking to you well sure i mean this is in the context of a full-blown solemn exorcism where the demon's speaking out of the person it may be grabbing people's stoles kicking them punching them gouging them with nails trying to bite us different voices coming out of them the face muscular 
sometimes pulls and changes in the face, kind of changes its shape a little bit. So it's very clear it's this is not the person that you're dealing with. And yeah, and, and then they just remain quiet because Jesus seems to want, you know, the priest trained. And so he enforces that himself, apparently. And so it's very clear it's a demon possessing a body. It's not disembodied. It can speak. It can make noise just like we can make noise, except they can make a lot more noise than we can. So uh, sometimes the, the the yelling or the screaming that comes out of them is unnatural. I've been in situations where you had to yell to be heard six inches from somebody's face. You're trying to talk to each other, and the noise is so loud that even if you're six inches from each other's face, you and I trying to talk, and this person's off to the side, possessed person screaming, the decibels are so loud wow. that you have to yell just to be heard almost wow. nose to nose. But you said one time that some of these exorcisms take place in like a church setting or some or some side room or something and isn't that going to frighten parishioners that are walking in and to hear those those screams i mean i would be i'd be running the other way the norm is to do solemn exorcisms in a church or a chapel someplace where the blessed sacrament is reserved you always protect the blessed sacrament you don't bring it out you wouldn't bring the host near a person that's possessed uh, for the danger of them trying to defile the host but of course this is when the church is closed you know this is not a spectator sport okay. the public public is never allowed to be present only well vetted witnesses that the exorcist has approved to be present as witnesses, usually mature women that will pray and just be a witness there, a few of them, but they don't choose themselves. So a person can't just say, well, I want to go, you know, I have a right to go witness an exorcism. You don't. Mm -hmm. This this is, um, this is a confidential, you know, prayer session for this person and we protect their dignity and their privacy, just like you would want your dignity and privacy protected. And if it was your relative, you would want their privacy and dignity protected. Sure. So this is not something the public is allowed to be at. Yes, there's a concern with the volume of the screaming. So yeah, sometimes, you know, it is quite loud. And so you need to be smart and pick a location maybe where there's not residential houses right next door because people might assume, you know, some, might well, assume might, somebody's being heard or something. I, I was going to say they might call nine one one. I mean, if I heard sure. that kind of screaming, I would I would call nine one one and say, "Hey, sure. somebody's screaming!" Right, mm -hmm. right. Wow. Do you ever put? I mean, I know this is. I'm not trying to be comical, but do you ever put like headphones on or earbuds in so you didn't have to hear? No, no, you don't. No, you don't. the the really loud screaming doesn't happen all the time. But it does happen sometimes. Usually it's just regular yelling and trying to drown out the sound of the prayers or make so much noise it's hard for you to think clearly and focus on the prayers. That's, right. that's a big part of the goal. Okay, we're learning a lot today. This is part six of our seven-part uh, series on uh, realities of exorcism. It is a pre-recorded broadcast. Jacob is at the controls. He's doing a fine job. And uh, we're asking Adam the questions today because this is his work. He does this on a weekly basis. And so we're learning and growing. It's important for us to understand what's really happening um, in the spirit world. So we hope you stay tuned in. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. Look at the Spirit World podcast. Don't forget that. And we'll be right back.
Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave to GRNs for any other reason, but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. All parents want their children to be happy, but ironically, it's the one thing that we actually cannot do for our kids. Every person has to make the choice to be happy by themselves. What we can do as parents is to teach them what will make them happy and give our kids the self-discipline to choose that path. So what will make our kids happy? First, gratefulness. Children need to learn to appreciate what they have. Second, generosity. Teach them to give themselves away and to live for others. Last, boundaries. Children who have guardrails in their lives know what is expected of them, and this brings security needed for happiness. Make sure to also give your child time. Time to be bored, to make their own fun, and time to make choices. And instill within them a deep foundational knowledge of their identity, knowledge of their own giftedness and vocation. For more resources in our podcast, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. When you donate a car to the Guadalupe Radio Network, you're not only supporting your local Catholic radio station, you're also getting a great tax deduction. So if you have a vehicle that you don't want anymore, consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Guadalupe Radio Network by calling 1-866-628-CARS or go to grnonline.com and click on Donate. From the folks at the GRN, thank you, and may God abundantly bless you. Turn to the spirit world. Today's program has been pre-recorded, but you can submit your questions for a future mailbag episode via email, the spirit world at the station of the cross.com or through Facebook with the handle the spirit world podcast. Well, I shared with you that this hour moves quickly, and so we're going to uh, go back to the questions for Adam Bly, religious demonologist. He's a paratus in the exorcism ministry. That means an expert, and that is very important because we're tapping into what he um, works in on a weekly basis why? Because we need to learn and grow as the as the lay faithful. It's very important that we understand what we're up against and how we are to conduct our lives so that we're not in fear. Very important. Jacob Kraft, our producers at the controls, I've got some exciting news. Just want to uh, say it again because I said it at the beginning of the show, Adam, so I'll say it for our, our listeners that kind of uh, just jumped in um, partway through the show that uh, this is a seven-part series. It, we wanted to pack Package it together, keep it together, and, and please make sure you um, go to part one, two, three, four, and five so you can catch up. But part seven, we're kind of excited. It's going to be a special podcast that Jacob is going to make available for uh, the Spirit World uh, listeners, and it'll be um, on Facebook, and and you can you can catch it on the app, whatever works for you, the most convenient way. But the exciting part of the final episode, part seven, is we asked Jacob who's 
use part of the millennial generation to to come into the broadcast and ask questions representing young adults. Because Adam and I can pretend that we can remember what it was like to be young again. Um, but you know what? There's a lot going on in the world uh, for young adults. And we really want to make sure that they are represented. They have their questions answered. And so we thought Jacob would be the perfect person. So he'll be on part seven. So you'll have to you'll have to uh, check that out um, in the next couple weeks. But Adam, I know actually, Adam, you could probably remember the younger days. I can't even remember what I ate for dinner last night, to be honest with you. (laughs) I imagine I remember the younger days, but um, some of them are probably best forgotten. So that's that's not all bad. (laughs) True. True. Okay, so back to the questions. You know, Adam, I, I it's interesting you you were sharing about who is in the exorcism uh sessions. You have the exorcist, you have, you know, you're there as as a coach and a, and an expert in this ministry. You have the prayer warriors who are really part of these sessions. You have of course the possessed individual and then i i'm assuming is there maybe family members that are with that person i mean they don't i mean i i can't even imagine sending a oh you could you do you do send the people alone um, well how does that work it's generally not good for family members to be present because the full manifestation of, of seeing a loved one completely taken over by a demon is really upsetting that's that's basically traumatic for the person and then the other thing is if they're sitting nearby the demon is very interested in destroying the family and destroying any supportive loving relationships in the person's life because the demon wants the person Mm -hmm. isolated alone and depressed so that it can eventually drive them to despair and so it's going to focus on that family member and say the most horrible, demoralizing, negative things that it can to them and really get in their head and traumatize them. Because remember, that person spends the rest of the week with them. And so they're then going to be probably sleeping with one eye open. If it's a spouse, you know, the demon's going to say things to make them afraid of their loved Mm -hmm. one or their spouse. Uh, it's just not a good situation. And then sometimes the person is so terrified that we have to stop everything and basically attend to them and their emotional needs because it, it can be such a scary experience. You know, I've become so desensitized to this just by, by doing it for so long. I kind of saw an analogy when I worked in the prisons for a number of years with um, a lot of different types of criminals. You know, initially, it's terrifying to be in a prison, the noise, the screaming, the the violence that you see. And then after a few years, you're just desensitized to it, you know, and, and there's a lot of gallows humor and, and you just kind of get through your day and it no longer seems to phase you, though it, it does stress you. This is the same way I've become so desensitized, I forget how uh, unnerving it can be the moment that you genuinely realize, oh, that is not so-and-so that's not a human being and the moment that you fully understand that because a lot of people i think imagine like oh this isn't actually real you know if i was there i would know better and these people are clearly just deluded this is just psychology they will arm armchair quarterback it and and pass judgment and say well i know better than you know two thousand years of human experience in every religion in the world you know i've decided this doesn't exist 
the moment that somebody has the realization in that moment, for instance, you know, the demon may say something to them and reveal something, some secret about them that literally nobody knows but them, there's a moment where they realize, oh, wait a second, it's actually real. And that can be a life-changing moment because it changes your worldview. And that's something, you know, you would have to stop and basically attend to them and, and try to take care of them through that kind of crisis point. So, so for a lot of reasons, no, it's not good. Family members will often bring the person and wait in the parking lot, you know, or go to a restaurant or a coffee shop, but um, it's not good to have them in the room. Gotcha, gotcha. So now I understand. After after almost one year of doing the show with you, you know, we're folks. If you if you're listening right now, we're recording the broadcast, and then we're connected via Skype, so we can see each other, and that's how we can uh, virtually connect. Because Adam's in um, Pennsylvania, I'm in Arizona. And uh, Jacob's in New York. And so we're all connected thanks to technology. But as Adam speaks, and you were talking about being desensitized, you know, because the work that you're in, I mean, you're very, I mean, you're very intentional about what you do. You're, you're very precise and you're very dedicated to your work. That I can attest to. But the, but you being desensitized because just being used to everything that you're seeing, um, and is happening around you. That's why I understand when Jacob and I are making these horrific faces as you speak you're just looking at us like what is your problem why the why the facial expressions so now i understand adam that um, that's why you're not reacting but you know all kidding aside it is it is a very serious a ministry it's a very serious work that you do and a very important one in the church so let's get back to some of the details if we can for the last few minutes we have for this brief hour that we get to spend with one another talking about exorcisms talking about angels demons and everything in between let's go to the language adam you talked about the sounds and things flying around by the way is and did you did you ever have to call like the ambulance or the police if something did anybody ever get hurt yeah people have gotten hurt and in some very even with an exorcism there's a range of intensity of the cases. So it's not like, oh, they're all exactly the same intensity. Some cases are more severe than others. And so there, there have been cases where a paramedic or a medic of some kind, you know, with real medical training is present just in case somebody gets hurt, you know, in terms of uh, binding wounds, that type of thing. So there are cases like that. Not so much police for anybody that's there for the exorcism, but we have had a situation where police were present because there were essentially cult members that were, you know, basically had done some crimes against the person. And so there there are people that have come out of satanic cults. And I don't mean the ones that are in the news. These people generally are are more philosophical Satanists as opposed to real Satanists. So real Satanic cults, people lead regular day jobs and lives during the day. They don't wear it on their sleeve or tell people they're Satanists. And these are the people that are generally doing the actual criminal activity. The stuff they do couldn't be done publicly because it involves crimes. So when you're dealing with cases, you know, with, with folks from that kind of world, sometimes there is a real security threat. And so, you know, we've interfaced with law enforcement at various levels with situations like that. 
are they how do they respond are they calm do are they do you do you prep them ahead of time with law enforcement i mean what i mean because they're just coming in they don't really have an understanding of this right yes you do you basically give them a real brief uh briefing on you know this is what you typically experience you know everything's fine you, you don't need to be phased by it. You know, and this has been very rare, Deb. Don't get the idea that police are at, you know, every other exorcism. Sure. This is rare over the years. But when it's, when it's occurred, you know, you just brief them and say, this is what's going to happen. Typically, an officer who's Catholic ends up being the one volunteering to do this kind of work, you know, within, within a, within whatever law enforcement agency that's willing to help. So, you know, generally they're Catholic and they have at least some superficial understanding and, and by the grace of God, everybody's been fine, you know, when that mm -hmm. kind of thing has come up. But again, that's, right. that's extremely rare. So don't, don't imagine it's happening all the time. Okay. Sounds good to me. Alrighty. Um, so let's get into the language. This is interesting. And this actually came from one of our listeners, a couple uh, shows that we did on, you know, when there's some kind of, when they try to converse with people in the room, do they speak in the language of like the vernacular? Do, do they, do they know multiple languages? Like, let's say, for instance, you had a French exorcist who only spoke, you know, French and, and didn't speak English. Do they speak to him in French? I mean, like, do they know how to do all that? And do they speak in other languages that, that, you know, even the exorcist doesn't understand. Explain the use of language, because I think that's very important. Sure. So, yeah, they, they know all languages, including dead languages that are no longer used. Yeah, so there's variations on it. The, I think I've shared with you before, the first time I went to Spain to work with, with an exorcist there early on in, in this whole journey, there was a man who didn't speak any English, you know, a few words like all Europeans do, but but basically spoke, you know, Spanish with a heavy accent, could stumble through a few words of English. But we were there praying and the demon spoke to me in English with an American accent fluently, said very little. It said, what are you doing here? Stop that praying. Stop it. But said it in perfect English with an American accent. And after the session, Father actually asked the person to speak to him in, in their best English because Father spoke Spanish and English. And the person, and I overheard that, you know, was, was struggling to just make like very simple sentences. So yes, sometimes they will be speaking in a language you don't know. So the exorcist may say, you know, in the name of Jesus, tell me how to gender this person. And they answer in some language you don't know and smile because they're basically saying, I answered you. It's not my fault. You don't know the language I spoke in. So then he says, in the name of Jesus, speak English, tell me again. And then he speaks English and tells him again. So they'll use it as a dodge and they'll use it sometimes just to play games and try to impress you and make you feel stupid. So, for instance, they may correct your Latin and, um, you know, say, no, that's the wrong declension and then say it. You know, because they know the language better than than most people do, unless you happen to be a Latinist. So they'll use it as kind of a put down sometimes yeah. or a dodge or a head game. But, yeah, they know all languages, including obscure stuff. We had one that was writing the answers on paper in Icelandic, but from the from the grammar from about 600 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it was Icelandic, but it was in like if you think of writing old English for us, you know, it would be almost unintelligible to us. But it was obscure. This was a person here in the United States in the Southwest, doesn't know Icelandic, of course. And luckily, I knew somebody in Iceland randomly who 
was able to translate that and verify that it was this kind of archaic grammatical structure. So, yeah, the, the language range is, is basically all of them. What, let's talk about Latin, too, because we've heard, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos that they were saying to have Gregorian chant in Latin. Uh, it tends to keep the demons away. They don't like uh, uh, Latin at all, and that's our Catholic language, right? And so, so it's very interesting. So let's talk about that. But you hear the music. Uh, Jacob is so spot on. He keeps us right on schedule, and that's important. That's why he's our producer. So when we come back, the final segment of this pre-recorded uh, part six of realities of exorcism here on the spirit world today stay with us This is Two Minutes to Virtue for the fourth Sunday of Lent, Vitari Sunday. I want to talk about three proper prayers of the Mass and encourage you to pray them as you pray the Mass. The Collect for Latari Sunday is a great prayer to say throughout Lent. O God, who through your word reconciled the human race to yourself in a wonderful way, grant we pray that with prompt devotion and eager faith, the Christian people may hasten toward the solemn celebrations to come. The Sunday Collect or opening prayer would make a great family or personal prayer throughout the week. The offertory prayer helps us to understand that the Mass is a holy sacrifice, an offering to God. We place before you with joy these offerings, which bring eternal remedy, O Lord, praying that we may both faithfully revere them and present them to you as is fitting for the salvation of the world. This rich prayer references the joy of Latari Sunday, the fruits of the sacrifice, eternal remedy, and salvation of the world, the making presence of our Lord in the, by the consecration, we faithfully revere him, and the notion of sacrifice, we present them to you. Finally, the post-communion prayer teaches us the fruits of receiving communion worthily. What can we expect to receive from receiving? I'll reference the post-communion for the Feast of St. Joseph. Defend with unfailing protection, O Lord, we pray, the family you have nourished with food from this altar as they rejoice at the solemnity of St. Joseph and graciously keep safe your gifts among them. There are themes from the feast beautifully woven into this prayer. Defend, protect, keep safe, and family. St. Joseph is the guardian and protector of the church and of families. Let the prayers of the Mass themselves teach you what the Mass is and what it does. Good St. Joseph, pray for us. Two Minutes to Virtue is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. For more information, visit their website, arlingtondiocese.org. We now return to the spirit world. Today's program has been pre-recorded, but you can submit your questions for a future mailbag episode via email, thespiritworldatthestationofthecross.com, or through Facebook with the handle, The Spirit World Podcast. Final segment here of The Spirit World, and it is a pre-recorded broadcast, um, part six, Realities of Exorcism. 
and uh, part seven, we will be um, airing that, a special broadcast coming up uh, shortly. And then, it, please, uh, catch up. If you just tuned into the spirit world, um, exciting news, too. Starting April 1st, we will be on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So that's exciting. But you got to catch up on the seven-part series, and you can always uh, do that on Facebook at the Spirit World Podcast. So you can just scroll down and catch one, two, three, four, and five. This is six. Okay, so a couple more questions, Adam, and then we're going to have to wrap it up because uh, there's another show starting right after us. So go back to the language in Latin. Uh, we hear that a lot. And as a matter of fact, I just saw a YouTube video recently that said you should be playing Gregorian chant all the time, especially if you can't sleep at night, if you're having some sleep disturbances to play Gregorian chant because of the latin element that the demons don't like the the language at all tell us a little bit about that is that true does that have any is is it effective okay so there's a few layers to this it's not a simple yes or no answer so the first layer of it is yes latin's an important language and the reason it's an important language is twofold one, it's a sacredized language, meaning it's one of the three languages that was nailed to the cross. So Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, the crimes of the criminals that were being crucified, the description of their crime would be tacked on the cross over them so the public could see and then be dissuaded from committing those crimes. So the Roman state would use that as a, as a way to say, you know, don't go steal things because this is what will happen to you. So by being sacredized and nailed to the cross, it became an important language. Secondly, it's the official language of the Catholic Church. And so down through the centuries, it's been the official language of liturgy, of prayer, of the rites of the church. And so by being the official language of Jesus Christ Church, it carries a certain efficacy and a certain importance in heaven and in the spiritual world in, you know, in general with the demons. Now, that all being said, Deb, it's really important to not turn this into magical thinking, where I start thinking of Latin as a magical incantation, like, oh, if I don't learn to say that prayer in Latin, it's not going to quote-unquote work. The important parts of people being freed in exorcism is three things. Them repenting of their sins, forgiving the sins of others that have hurt them, and trusting Jesus. Those are the most important parts of being freed. It's not about who says the right incantation over you and that's suddenly going to make your problem go away. That's what a lot of people want. They say, oh, I need the special person with the special prayer and that, that'll take my problems away. What Jesus wants is conversion in the person. And that conversion is about repenting, forgiving, and trusting him more. That's a growth towards God, obedience to God's law, and a growth towards trusting God in a relationship with God. So you don't want to say like, oh, if I say it, you get this prayer said in Latin, it's it's just going to suddenly make everything go away. That's the way a magician would think about things. You know, that is, I do this incantation and then this spiritual effect happens. It's actually about a living relationship between that person and Jesus Christ. And he wants that person to grow in their relationship with him and with the law of God and relationship with God. Because the law doesn't restrict us, it actually sets us free. And that, that's the deeper fruits of following God's law. So, so that's why it's a little bit complicated. Now, the final thing that does carry, I think, a little bit of weight, 
is that in the old rite of exorcism, the Latin is not the simple ecclesiastical Latin that we see, the, the kind of somewhat simplified Latin that you see in a lot of texts in the church, but it is a more of a, a mid, mid to high level Latin in terms of being the subtlety of the words. It's a well-crafted Latin from 1614 that was developed over, you know, a lot of time and a lot of work. And so when it's rendered into English, sometimes the subtleties of those words and the power in terms of the subtle ways the words really address certain theological points to the demon get lost because English is a somewhat simple language in certain areas. Okay. All that being said, it's more important about a heartfelt prayer. The demons I've seen complain more about somebody is praying truly from their heart for this person. Somebody here is fasting while they're praying for this person. They complain about that more than they complain about, oh, so-and-so is praying in Latin. Yes, they're annoyed. We do have a priest who visits us who's of European descent, whose Latin is quite good, and he prays fluently in Latin when he does the right. They do get annoyed by that, and they will say, I hate when he prays it in Latin. So, yes, what I'm saying is, Deb, it's both. It's true it's annoying to them. It's a reminder of the of the language of the church. It's a reminder of the cross that they were, they were all there, by the way, and they all saw the crucifixion. They had to see their defeat. It's a reminder of those things, so they hate it. But we don't want to make it into a magical thing where we say, oh, it's deficient if I'm not doing it in Latin, because it's more about that sincere prayer. That's what Jesus is responding to. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think you explained that beautifully. Thank you. That really helps. Because we're seeing, a, let's face it, we're seeing a lot of YouTube videos out there. People are floating them out there because they know that people, even out of curiosity, are going to click on it and, and watch it. And we need the real truth so that we can make good, good, solid decisions as, as Catholic Christians so we can move confidently forward. Adam, this has been wonderful. I have to tell you, I learned so much, you know, in these six parts that we have done on the realities of exorcism. I'm looking forward to to uh, the final part, part seven, when uh, Jacob joins us and he asks questions, because I really do want to know what my children, my children, uh, they're in the millennial generation, and I want to know what my grandchildren are going to be thinking, because, you know, it, let's face it, the world has changed dramatically when when we were kids. I mean, when we were kids, we used to have fun going out uh, to all hours of the night and coming home, you know, basically to, to fall asleep, and, and our parents knew we were safe and everything was okay, nowadays you would never do that you'd never let your your child out without you know figuring out where they're at or have a cell phone with them or something it's it's a it's a much different world and i think it's important that we understand uh what's going on with the um heightened demonic activity that we're seeing you know the demons are actually just in plain view um right now and, and you can see it just by turning on the news um so speaking of that uh, real quickly in the last few minutes we have um could, do they talk at all about abortion you know child sacrifice anything of that nature do they ever do they ever divulge kind of their their plan on that not so much their plan on it no but they they divulge their glee in those things so they take great pleasure when human beings are harmed or killed in any capacity because we represent you know a mortal but also created in the image of god we have a body and they don't. They were never given one. We are limited in the sense that we're mortal, at least in our physical body, we have an immortal soul. So they take great glee in particularly suicide. They take particular glee in abortion. They want 
bad things to be done during pregnancy and right after a baby is born. They want to they want to create a bad version of a baptism, kind of the opposite of that. They're very fixated on the innocent and and attacking the innocent. The cruelty of these creatures is is beyond description. You can't anthropomorphize them and and think that there's any shred of decency or mercy or remorse in them. And so that's why when we deal with this area, the church has carefully set it aside and put it in a protected space that we need to respect because it's a special ministry. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. This was a very, very important broadcast. Please follow us on Facebook at the Spirit World Podcast so you can uh, catch up on the previous episodes. Uh, Part 7, the special broadcast will be coming up soon. And uh, beginning April 1st, we will be airing live with your calls on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, produced by Guadalupe Radio. Thank you so much to Jacob Kraft, our producer. And until next Saturday, have a beautiful and blessed week. We'll see you real soon. Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Looking for a career move where you can put your faith into action as you build relationships within your local community? Decided Excellence Catholic Media is one of the fastest growing private media companies in North America. We are seeking media, marketing, and sales professionals who want to join our team to produce exclusive faith-filled magazines that support local businesses. To learn more about Decided Excellence Catholic Media, please visit DecidedExcellence.com. That's DecidedExcellence.com. If you're over the age of 18, baptized, have received First Communion, and have not celebrated the Sacrament of Confirmation and wish to do so, St. Joseph Catholic Church in Richardson invites you to register for Spring Adult Confirmation classes starting Friday, April 28th at the parish. The classes take place from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. in the church facilities room 125 p.c. Confirmation will be celebrated at the Saturday Vigil of Pentecost Solemnity on May 27th. To register, email alfredors at stjosephcc.net. The Guadalupe Radio Network thanks John Morrison with Morrison Heating and Air for his support of the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Morrison Heating and Air specializes in heating and air conditioning service for the counties of Denton, Collin, Cook, and Grayson. You can contact John with Morrison Heating and Air by calling 940-597-6099. That's 940-597-6099 for Morrison Heating and Air. 
Hi, this is Dave Palmer with a reminder to download the Guadalupe Radio Network app on your smartphone. It's very simple to do, and once you have the app on your phone, you can listen to a crystal clear signal of this station, KTH 910 AM, 24 hours a day, anywhere you are. If you have any questions about our app or need help setting it up on your phone, contact me through email, davepalmer at grnonline.com. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 